Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drinkon, and I am your Jedi Master Guide for the day. And today we will talk about how you may be able to inspire hope and how you can do it to attitude in your own head and your own thinking and with those around you. And before we get started, I want to remind you that you can connect with me on social media, on Instagram at Eternal Optimist Podcast and on Facebook at the same Eternal Optimist Podcast. Today's episode is about Jedi Master training. And when I say that, I say it tongue in cheek because we do talk a little Star Wars today. But what we really talk about with my guest, Dr. Will Sparks, is we talk about the shadow. The shadow. It's that part inside of us that's there. It's waiting to erupt and challenge us. It's always in the present. It's always here and now. And it's important that we chat about this today. Our guest, Dr. William Sparks, is as decorated as they come. He has so much, just looking at his bio here is absolutely overwhelming because it's amazing. Now, I'll start with some of the highlights. You can check him out on his TED Talk around the power of self-awareness. Amazing talk, I've listened to it a couple times so far. He also is a managing director for William L. Sparks and Associates, a professional services firm founded in 1997, focused on leader and team development, personal transformation and change management. He also serves as a partner with Peter Browning Partners, a consulting firm providing board governance and executive coaching. He serves as director on the boards of the Dilworth Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Arts for Life, and the Project Appraisal Methodology Institute in Washington, D.C. He's been, you know what, I can't even read all this. He's been in the news so many times. It's He's kind of famous here in the Southeast. He's written a book. It's been an Amazon number one bestseller based on the actualized leader profile. His book is entitled Actualized Leadership, Meeting Your Shadow and Maximizing Your Potential. The testimonials he has here come from famous professional sports coaches, CFOs, COOs at global Fortune 50 companies. He's amazing and our conversation today is absolutely amazing where we uh, tongue-in-cheek talk about coaching the rebellion and coaching the empire, and in a more serious note, talk about what holds back people in their own thinking and the ways to overcome that. And what's brilliant about Will is that he can do this in a way that speaks to those with a high education and those that don't have a formal education. It doesn't matter if you're someone that comes from money or you have no money at all, he shares a language that can be simple, that can help you take steps to go whatever level you're on right now in the direction you want to find that peace and find that joy. And he's amazing. That's all I've got to say. Let's go ahead and bring on the conversation with Dr. Will Sparks. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. 
This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that introduction, it is my sincere pleasure and honor to introduce you to Dr. William Sparks. We'll call him Will. Will, great to have you here today, my friend. Welcome. Thank you, Matt. I really am excited to be with you and appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. When I had the opportunity uh, to connect with you, our, our friend Michael Dietrich Chastain introduced us. He said, you've got to meet Will Sparks. You've, you've got to listen to his TED Talk and you're going to be fascinated. So I, uh, like any any good uh, introduction, I want to go and do some research. So I listened to your TED Talk. I've listened to it twice. It's on the power of self-awareness. It's amazing. So I imagine that there's, we'll probably have that link in the show notes. But I, I'd love to dive straight into the challenges. And you can pick the timeline at any point in your life you'd like. I'd love to ask you about what is a challenge that you have faced in your life? And I'd love to chronicle kind of what that felt like, what that was, and you know, kind of take it from there, Will. So what's a challenge that you've, you've seen? Well, I'm reminded of a quote from Carl Jung. I'm a big fan of the famous Swiss psychologist Carl Jung, who, who referred to the shadow, that sort of Mr. or Mrs. Hyde, to our Dr. Jekyll persona. So the persona is the mask that we want people to see and experience with us. And, and it's true, part of it's true, but then there's this other, the, the Mr. or Mrs. Hyde, that he referred to loosely as the shadow. And, and a, the quote I'm referencing is when he said, it is a moral problem that is present and real. And so when I think about challenges that I've had, and I'll use I statements, I'll just speak for myself, I can reference, you know, my divorce, I can reference uh, the TED Talk, but the challenge is present and real. So it's not something that I overcame and, and I can tell sort of an interesting story about that. Um, it's something that is sort of always present and, and something that is, as Young said, is, is present and real and, and sort of there to erupt, you know. And so I think it, for, for me, thinking of it from more of a Jungian perspective, the challenges that I think many of us have are we're our own worst enemy. And that is, in a nutshell, what the shadow really gets at. The, this concept of the, the shadow is that sort of other side of ourselves it's activated under stress, it's triggered under stress. And, and I think a lot of the challenges that we encounter in our lives are a direct result of our own doing. In other words, I think that when we shoot ourselves in the foot, the shadows pulled the trigger. And so that's certainly not always the case. They're, they're bad things that happen to good people. They're bad things that happen to bad people. You know, people are, we have external forces, certainly that we have to overcome health challenges and the like. But I think very often, especially in an organizational context, Quite often, it's an individual that has created many of the problems that then he or she must overcome. So from my, I guess, probably the a very Cliff Notes version of, of a challenge that I have, that I felt like I did overcome was the really the subject of my TED Talk, The Power of Self-Awareness. When I was in the a PhD program at George Washington University, the late Dr. Jerry Harvey was my professor and advisor. And I had all of these great things going on at the time. I had just finished my master's in organizational psychology. I was studying at the, the feet of Yoda, who's Jerry Harvey in my field, organizational psych. And, you know, I'd, I'd started working for a very boutique 
uh, management consulting firm in Washington, D.C., the late Dr. Dominic J. Manetta's resource alternatives that specialized in a lot of national security issues. A lot of the data I collected from my dissertation came from the U.S. national labs, Livermore, Sandia, Los Alamos. And so I was, you know, it was really very exciting time in my life. And, and yet I was going through, I was on the tail end of a divorce from my high school sweetheart. And Dr. Harvey, instead of feeling sorry for me and colluding with me like everyone else in my life had done, held up the mirror and said, you know, the exact opposite. I don't feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for her. You did this, not her. And you need to figure that out, essentially. And so that was a that was a real challenge for me. And it was a, it was much deeper, though, than I realized, because I thought it was a challenge that, you know, stiff upper lip. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'll get through this. I know people that have got through a divorce and they'll be OK and I'll be OK. But to have this added sort of level of awareness that, well, yeah, that may or may not be true. But if you don't figure this out, you're probably going to do it again and again and again. And so that was my challenge was unwinding and unpacking the realization that I had created the dysfunction of codependency in my failed marriage. And, and, and that is, and that's ever present, you know, to go back to the first quote I said from Young, it's present and real. That's something that I'm mindful of every day because I, I'll tend to solve the problem. I'll tend to take care of everything. I'll tend to, you know, um, do things when I don't need to. And, and that, breeds that sort of cycle. So I'm, I'm very mindful of it. I'm hyper aware. I think I do a much better job, I hope. Uh, but it is it is a daily uh, challenge for sure. Well, I love that you've been able to come down this path with this awareness of the shadow. And I'm, I'm super curious about when Dr. Harvey first either confronted you or first shared this feedback with you in the state of mind you were in at that exact moment. How did you first respond to that? When someone does say to you, basically, no, you need to own it and look at yourself. I mean, how did how did you respond to that in the moment? And and then moving forward? in the moment, I was I was silent. I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. I probably slouched over or slumped over a little bit in my chair. I I think I turned a whiter shell, whiter shade of pale, or you know maybe a little bit of green mixed in there too. I felt physically sick. I sort of meekly limped out of his office thinking that I'm, I'm glad I had not paid for the entire year. I just paid for that first semester and, you know, I wasn't going to get that money back, but I'm glad I, I didn't go all in because I, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the program essentially. And I thought he was a hypocrite to tell me he was a Bible thumping Southern Baptist and a man of faith and that he was praying for me. And he said that, and then he filleted me. And so I, I was hurt and I was angry and I thought he was a big hypocrite. And so it took a it took a day or two of, of having a lot to drink with some friends, and they did exactly what I wanted them to do, which was collude with me and agree with me that he was a hypocrite. And and yet there was something that was nagging me, and that nagging was the fact that on some level I knew that he was right, and it it wouldn't let me go. And so it took a day or two until I literally looked into the mirror and said, you know, he's right. I I did this. I created this dysfunction, and it was both excruciatingly painful to realize that the pain and, and the sadness and the heartbreak that I had caused in multiple lives was, was something that I had done. Uh, but it was also incredibly liberating in that moment to sort of own it and to realize, you know, I have the power to, to not go down this path again. And so it was that sort of combined. But my first reaction was, was not very positive. And my experience, having been a professor now for 20 plus years and most of my MBA students, I would say that their initial reaction to some similar conversations I've had and sort of my 
my uh, maybe somewhat pitiful effort to emulate the late, great Dr. Jerry Harvey, but I do hold up that mirror to students, and I would say that many of them react probably the way that I did, or maybe even a little bit worse initially, but quite often they come around to that realization that thankfully I did as well. Mm. I'm feeling as you're sharing your story that there's already been a whole compendium of knowledge and wisdom you've already shared with us today. And you're a humble man. I don't know if you would say it the exact same way as I just did, but I thank you. I mean, this is, this has been helpful already just to share with the listeners that you can be in a moment where you're you didn't know what to say when he asked you, what are we here to talk about? What, what's what's the challenge? What are we here to talk about? And you didn't know what to say. And then he turned it right around and said, it's you. And then you felt you know, physically ill. And then a couple of days later, it's still nagging. And you chose to do something about it. And that's the part that's so impressive is that you chose to do something about it. And you identified that, yeah, you should own it and you will own it. And you have. And you've done that very graciously and humbly. So thank you. Thank you. I've tried to. And and I think that to to be completely transparent, there was a rational self-interest in my part for wanting to own it. And the rational self-interest was my realizing that Jerry Harvey knew me better in three and a half months than I knew myself in 27 plus years. And I thought I I was very arrogant. I I was brash. I was pretty full of myself. I had my master's. I was working on my doctorate. I was, I was, Jerry, Jerry took one student a year. That was it. And I was the one he chose. And so I had a pretty big ego about that. So I think that I realized that he knew me better than I knew myself. And once I swallowed that uh, and, and accepted that as a fact, then the rational self-interest part of me was like, whatever he has, whatever lens he uses to observe behavior, whatever he read between the lines, whatever he's observed in me over the last semester, I want that. I want access to that framework, to that lens, uh, because it's powerful and it's right. It's accurate. It's one thing, it's valid, you know, and so whatever that is, I want some of that. And so in many ways, I've spent my entire professional career since 1996 in search of or trying to refine or perfect a framework that would allow me that same or similar kind of insight into not just predicting behavior, but understanding the fear or the shadow that often underlies. Before we get to the shadow, I, I love to go back. You said that when you were 27, you, you had a big ego or you were all about the ego. And I wonder to what degree your ego has uh, play a lesser role or it has become subservient to uh, a greater thinking or to a higher thinking. I-, I wonder how your ego has either gone down or become less involved as you've been on this quest and this, this study in your life. Well, I think that I, I am a man of faith. I'm, I'm a very imperfect Christian, but I am a man of faith. And I think that I've grown in my faith and I believe very strongly that humility is a key to, to, true development and growth. And so part of that comes from what I hope has been some growth in that arena in my life. Part of it, I think, is getting older and maybe just not not having the energy to, you know, to, to, to try to take on the world at every turn. Dr. Harvey, I'm, I'm originally from Gaffney, South Carolina, and he, he referenced that South Carolina chip on my shoulder that was going to make it hard for me to take the feedback he planned to give me. So I, I think there's part of it there as well. So hopefully I think there's less ego. I try and I can tell if I'm coming out of a place of of abundance or or compassion or love or empathy or 
am I coming out of a place of insecurity, fear, ego, shadow, all of those things that sort of, and it is, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan and not to over simplify this, but it's almost like the, you know, the light side and the dark side, the dark side is that sort of, if it's, if I'm going to say something out of insecurity or self-promoting or out of, you know, ego or fear, that's probably not a very enlightened or aware thing to do. So I've, I've, tried to become very aware of that in the way that I show up, in the way that I interact with people. I, I hope that I've gotten better. I'm, you know, Certainly it's a journey for everyone and it's a journey for me and not to belabor the very first quote, but Jung reminds us it's present and real. And so it's one beer away from, you know, or one glass of wine away or one missed meal away from coming out, you know, and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm mindful of it and try to try to manage it in that way. Well, you just you just struck a nerve with me for a moment here. So I'm going to keep it light for a moment before we go into the shadow and what we've learned and, and how we might be able to manage that, prepare for that, deal with that. So before we get to the shadow, you mentioned Star Wars. And as a leader in organizational psychology and development and leading people, I wonder if you were to coach either the empire or the rebellion, how might you start that conversation with the leader if the leader were Princess Leia or if the leader were Darth Vader? Well, you know, I, I've never thought about that. That's a great question. So I think if I were if I were coaching the rebellion, Princess Leia or her brother Luke Skywalker, I would talk to them about the hero's journey, which uh, Joseph Campbell and who was greatly impacted by Carl Jung talked about. That as sort of an archetypal. Many people have speculated that the reason Star Wars is so popular and it's and it's the fastest Jedi is the fastest growing legal definition of religion in the country. It's still the smallest denomination by a long shot, but it's the fastest growing. I mean, if you have 100 and you go to 200, you know, that's a pretty big number of growth. So, uh, and I think the reason it resonates with people on such a such a primal level is because it taps into this heroic journey that is the, you know, the, the farm boy against all odds who saves the princess and, you know, slays the dragon. It's the David versus Goliath that sort of primed into our collective unconscious or our collective shadow. So those archetypes are very powerful. And I think if, we, if we're if we coaching someone on the light side, we can encourage others to tap into that. I, from a business perspective, I think most of the, the most effective CEOs I've ever seen are great storytellers. You know, they, they, they've lost some of that technical proficiency. They've had to because they've, they've gotten away from the doing the work to sort of leading the, the vision or mission of the company. But they're great at telling stories and connecting with people, motivating and inspiring people. On, and a lot of that is archetypal. So I think that that would be something I would do from on the side of Luke Skywalker to, to remind him that he is tapping into something that is incredibly powerful and that will resonate with people uh, on a on a subconscious level, and that that's a prime mover. If I were trying to coach Darth Vader, I'd probably want to do that over a virtual format. I think I would be more comfortable over the phone, just in case he were to lose it. You know, I think that it, it's it's interesting. I think my knee jerk reaction would be to say, "Look at the anger, look at the hate." You know, this is look, think about the destruction you've caused and all of that. But even even at the end of the of the Return of the Jedi, so of the original three, if you recall, his ghost is with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda, who have also passed on, and he has, you know, he has sort of reached that place. And so maybe even in that darkness, there was a purpose served. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I think that trying to help a person to understand maybe some of the collateral damage that they're causing. Now, if I'm dealing with someone who is, you know, incredibly egotistical or arrogant or even narcissist, you're not going to move them 
a, a lever for them is not collateral damage. But what a lever can be for them is saying, you know, this is going to be your own undoing. And and if you have if you are rationally self-interested in the next promotion or, you know, the next million dollars or the next seven series or whatever that is for that individual, you need to take heed to this because you, you're going to unwind. And we, we see those those leaders, they have a big fall from grace. Many times we see those that have, you know, that one day they're in the spotlight and the next day they're yesterday's news and they've taken a package and move on. So I think I would try to, for the, a darker side, I would try to connect it to rational self-interest for that individual so that their their motivation is is coming from a place of helping them ultimately be more successful. Maybe the best answer I've ever heard to any question I've ever asked. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I don't know about the answer, but I can do some Star Wars trivia. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's go into the uh, let's go into the shadow, if we may. And I, I learned to when I say go into the shadow, I mean explore if there is some learning that you can share with us around maybe identifying it, being aware of it, and maybe even some strategies around preparing or, or owning it. I'd love to go any direction you'd like to hear, Will. Sure. So there are, in my research, and this is, again, this has been since 96, so we're closing in on you know a long, long time. I've identified three distinct, lead, what I call leadership shadows. And those three shadows are the fear of failure. The second is the fear of rejection. And the third is the fear of betrayal. And they are linked or correlated to positive motive needs, these internal drivers that propel our behavior. The first is the need for achievement. And so achievers are detail-oriented, technical experts, very uber-organized, very efficient. They tend to be a little more introverted. My wife is an achiever, so she has color-coded spreadsheets before we travel that have all of the confirmation numbers and the packing list and you know all of this kind of stuff. So very organized individuals, but they're under stress. The achiever style suffers from a fear of failure shadow and it becomes, the individual becomes rigid, critical, micromanaging. And, and the irony in all three of these is that if you allow your shadow to manage you you increase the likelihood that you're going to experience the very thing you're trying to avoid. And that is not my finding. That wisdom comes from Viktor Frankl in his classic book, Man's Search for Meaning After He Survived the Holocaust. He was a contemporary of Carl Jung. And Viktor Frankl has a concept called paradoxical intent. And paradoxical intent is that you bring about the very thing you're trying to avoid. And so if I'm an achiever and I become rigid and critical and narrow-minded and inflexible and a micromanager at work, I increase the likelihood that I'm going to fail. And I believe I'd, in that case, I define failure as either an outright, you you are relieved of your direct report, so you're demoted or perhaps even uh, transitioned out of the organization, which that's those are obvious failures. But one that I think is just as painful, but maybe a little bit less obvious, is that a micromanager achiever uh, often artificially limits the trajectory of their career. In other words, they could have been an executive vice president, but they sort of stay at the manager level because they are constantly staying late and doing all the work and you know, creating sort of a toxic work environment where people feel micromanaged. And, and that, that second and third promotion that didn't come was their own 
undoing. And that's what paradoxical intent is. So that's that's the first style. That's the achiever. The affirmer style is a relationship-driven style. And so these individuals are warm, friendly, caring, empathetic, great co-pilots, great lieutenants. And so, you know, they're sort of the heart and mind of a servant leader, but their shadow is a fear of rejection or fear of separation. And so when they're triggered, they become conflict avoidant, overly accommodating, indecisive, They likely sugarcoat the truth or they just avoid giving feedback altogether. And so when that happens, again, paradoxically, they increase the likelihood that they're going to experience the very thing they're trying to avoid, which is rejection or separation. An example at work would be a manager who fails to hold performance standards, fails to give tough feedback, is sort of the wants to be accepted by the group at all costs, sort of a very friendly, wants to be everyone's friend, and they're not enforcing performance standards. They will likely experience rejection in the form of being relieved of their direct reports at best or even terminated at worst. And then they experience a sort of ultimate rejection because they allowed their shadow to sort of manage them to a place that prevented them from saying what needed to be said or doing what needed to be done. So that's the second style. And then finally, the third style um, is the asserter. And that's that's my style. That's the need for power. And so individuals that have an asserter style are confident, decisive, candid, courageous. At our best, we're charismatic. At our worst, we're manipulative. And so it's these individuals, a lot of asserters have either found themselves in positions of leadership or perhaps put themselves in positions of leadership early on through life. If they look through school, high school, college, the athletics, all of those are very often in charge. But the shadow of the asserter is a fear of betrayal. And so we have a very small trust radius. And that comes from honestly, candidly, not trusting ourselves. And so if we can't trust ourselves, it's really hard to trust other people. And so we become arrogant, belligerent, controlling, uh, manipulative, sort of under, we create fear and others. And our the impact we have on others at home and at work is dependency. So we create that codependency that we often, and the first chance the person gets, they tap out and they go on to greener pastures. And for us, it feels like a betrayal, or it can be a personal relationship that ends. It feels like a betrayal, but quite, you know, again, we've, we've created. There's a quote that I love that is in regard to paradoxical intent. And there's some debate about whether or not Carl Jung actually said this, but let's just assume he did for the sake of the quote. It is, we meet our destiny on the road we took to avoid it. And so destiny in the sense of failure or rejection or betrayal, the road we take to avoid it are those shadow behaviors. So we meet our destiny. If I'm an achiever, I meet failure on the road I took to avoid it, which was micromanaging, trying to make sure that everything was just the way I wanted it to be perfect. Again, increasing that likelihood. So my my work has been focused on that. And if, Matt, if you don't mind, I'd love to give out a, a short web address that allows people to, it's a free assessment. It'll take 30 seconds. They can quickly assess. It's alpfree.com. And that stands for Actualized Leader Profile, but just alpfree.com. And you just answer 10 word pairs and you'll get your style. Um, and that gives you, that'll give you a sense of, you know, what's the style and then what's the corresponding shadow piece of that as well. So if people are interested, and, and that's really probably my, tr- the tremendous influence that Jerry Harvey had with me. And so try, trying to take his work and extend it into creating a, a simple, straightforward framework that allows anyone to self-assess and, and have that sort of awareness moment, not in, not in the same degree of candor 
uh, and humor, although it didn't feel funny at the time that I had with Jerry Harvey, they won't have a one-on-one conversation, but they'll, they can look down at their iPhone and they'll either see green, red, or blue, and that'll, that'll tell them their style. Well, I wonder, alpfree.com, and, and you answer like 10 questions right there. It helps you figure out your style. And I wonder, let's say that I go and do that. Like, what's next? I mean, how do I take that and learn from it or, or use it? Like, what happens after that? I'm, I'm very interested. What happens next? So I don't want to self-promote, but I, I did publish a book entitled Actualized Leadership. It's published by the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM, for those that may be in the business or HR field. The subtitle is Meeting Your Shadow and Maximizing Your Potential. And that book is really focused on helping you self-assess and understand the power of self-awareness and then identify characteristics of what self-actualized individuals do more often than others. For example, individuals that are highly self-actualized are objective. They have objective discernment. They don't allow authority or popularity or sentiment to creep in and cloud their judgment. They're, they're really good at confronting the brutal facts Another characteristic or what I call attribute is solitude. Self-actualized individuals crave solitude. They, they can be the life of the party, but they, they need that sort of renewal that comes from reflection and solitude. And so I, I, talk, I talk about those characteristics. But then the second half of the book is all focused on the transformational journey, the anecdotes for the three shadows, and, and how to create a more self-actualized life by realizing that the shadow can be managed. You can get out of autopilot. You can take intentional, conscious, make choices, make decisions and take actions that, you know, move you into a more self-actualized place. And so that that's something that I've really devoted my professional life to and, and have seen great results with individuals that have applied this framework. And now for a short sponsor break. Today's sponsor is The Empire Strikes Back. No, that's impossible. Luke, I am your father. Now, disclaimer here, this is not really sponsored by The Empire Strikes Back. It just happens to be a really cool movie, and I really like it a lot, and so does Dr. Sparks. So just be chill. It's a great movie. Enjoy. Have fun. Now back to the show. So let's say that I'm, I'm a listener. I hear this. Uh, I go and I do alpfree.com. I, I take the assessment and even I get the book, which I'm going to get today. I might add, uh, listeners, this is this sounds exciting. At the same time, I'm, I'm listening to a conversation right now with a man who's done all this work, the man who's incredibly smart and he's humble. You've been living that and then exemplifying that. So well done. But still, I, I could be intimidated right now to, I mean, how can I make that progress? So I, I guess what might be your simple affirmation or the simple first step that I can do it too, no matter where I'm at in my journey? Yeah, well, so that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that because I've been thinking about that, ironically enough. We have not talked about the questions beforehand. So this really is coming on the heels of something I was thinking about earlier this week. Self-actualization is essentially living a life with the underlying sense of abundance as opposed to scarcity, having an underlying sense of security instead of fear, having a profound sense of connection to either your purpose or to a broader community instead of seeking approval from others. And so there's th- those are three sort of tenets of, of the, the life that you can lead. And it has nothing to do 
with formal education. It has nothing to do with the amount of money that a person makes. You know, I've worked with attorneys and engineers and physicians and Harvard MBAs that have relatively low self-actualization scores. And that tells me that fear and scarcity is, is driving them. And, you know, that works for a while, but it's not sustainable. And if you tell them that nine times out of 10, they're nodding their, their heads with you in agreement before you can finish the sentence because they know they're, they're about to burn out. And so I think that's one thing. So it has nothing to do with formal education, nothing to do with the amount of money that a person makes. It's available to all of us. And Abraham Maslow, sort of the guru or the founding father of uh, self-actualization, was very clear about that uh, in his in his writing. The other thing that I would say as far as not being intimidating is, is seeing that life is a series of decisions and choices. And then we have consequences of our decisions and consequences of our choices and actions. And if we're not if we're not living the life that we truly want, if we feel like there's something untapped or we could be happier, or why is this pattern of dysfunction? Why does this follow me around? Well, you know, it's it's our pattern. So we have to own that piece. And I, I have found that individuals that are willing to be vulnerable enough to stop blaming everyone else and say, you know what, I'm the only common denominator in these the last 12 failed relationships. So maybe, maybe it's me. And I think that when a person has the that sort of courage to, to look in that way, it's available to all, to all of us. Abraham Maslow famously said, at every moment and every day, we have two choices. We can, we can sort of have the courage to step in out of our comfort zone into growth, or we can retreat into fear. But we never end the day where we started it from a development perspective. So we've either, we've either grown or we've regressed. And we have good days and bad days. And so, you know, give yourself some grace if you've had a stressful day or a bad day and wake up tomorrow and, you know, try again. But I think that having the courage to do or say something that people aren't expecting. So it's, maybe they're expecting you to get mad and really lose your temper and you go, OK, well, let's let's deal with this problem. How can we make this better? Or if you're always accommodating and you're always avoiding conflict, maybe you're the one who says, you know, no. You just, I don't want to do X, whatever that X is, you enforce some boundaries that allow you to, to, you know, have a little more time dedicated to yourself or to make you happier. And so whatever, in whatever context that may be, and those are available to all of us, but it's in that moment to moment, you know, the decision, is it coming from fear? Is it coming from ego? Or is it coming from a sense of abundance and security? And I think if we can quickly assess that, we are better able to make those different decisions that can have dramatically different consequences for our lives. I think you made that sound so simple. And it really is that simple. It's not easy necessarily, but it is simple. So thank you for, for breaking that down for us. Well, I go back to kind of the very beginning of our discussion. You were talking about the shadow is it's 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 always real and it's now. And it could be waiting to erupt. You know, and then I look at Oh, how life is a series of decisions and consequences have actions. So I wonder if if you were to look at, let's just say your, would you look at each day and, you know, kind of evaluate, did the shadow come out today or not? Or this was a successful day or not? I mean, how do you kind of look at yourself through the lens of being prepared for and aware of the shadow? That's a great question. I, I do certainly do reflection, but I, but I, I caution about, doing too much of that because it can actually paralyze an individual if you're too in your head and you're too, you know, so I'm all for uh, obviously awareness and reflection, but I think we have to 
moderate that. So what I focus on more than sort of the after, you know, the postmortem after action report, I focus on habits that I think are going to set me up for success. And so I'm an early riser. I usually get up between four and five, depending on what I have to do that day. I, I try to eat a, a fairly healthy breakfast. I, I walk our dog early in the morning, and that gives me some time to reflect and think about the day ahead. I have a you know a daily devotion from Richard Rohr, who's a, a, a Roman Catholic priest. I'm Lutheran, but I love his stuff, and I try to read that. And some days I'll I'll go two or three days, and I'll let him you know, stack up because I haven't read them. And then I try to get to them. And it is something I try to do every day for me. Other people have meditation, yoga, whatever that is, but try to get in a routine where, and it's different from everyone. So you have to sort of figure out what sets you up for success. I, I do need some downtime in the morning for sure. I have some pretty uh, far out there esoteric interest. And, 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 and so I'm sort of a a UFO aficionado, a Sasquatch. So I've got some podcasts sometimes during the week that at five thirty in the morning, if I got, if I can have thirty or forty-five minutes and listen to the latest episode of Sasquatch Chronicles or whatever it might be, then you know that's just a little bit of time that I sort of invest in, in what I personally find enjoyable, and then I'm ready to sort of hit the ground running. And so I think that we can all identify rituals or routines can help us throughout the day. And so that that's something, you know, that I, I try to do. There's some days, you know, you can't because you, you've got too much going on or I've got an early presentation or I've got to travel or something along those lines. But more times than not, I try to, you know, try to work in exercising as well and that kind of thing. So far from perfect, but I think that if we can develop those rituals and routines, I think that sets us up for, you know, for greater success and, and, and then, though, if I've had, you know, if I've had an interaction with my wife, Erin, that maybe didn't have a very positive outcome or an interaction with a coworker or a friend or, or you know, sibling or something along those lines, I, especially after that, I'll sort of reflect back on what could I have done differently or better. And I, I do try to put myself in the other person's position and say, OK, if that was me, would I have taken it in that way as well? And so I think that helps me sort of do that reflection afterwards. But again, I I try to spend more time front loading the day with things that I think mm-hmm. will help me be more effective than necessarily doing okay. the action item report. Yeah, I noticed that that you shared your several habits in the morning. So you are intentionally front loading the day with things that'll set you up for success. And for all of our listeners who heard didn't hear that and did a double take, uh, he did say four to five a.m. So there is life before seven thirty. A lot of life well, to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, my, I grew up, my, my, my father opened the post office in Gaffney, South Carolina for most of my life. And he went to, he got up at three 30 every morning. And so he went to bed early. So we were used to sort of being quiet early and not waking dad up and that kind of stuff. So I, I sort of get that. And my mom was an early riser. So I, I get that honest, but, but I will say this, but that's the decision though that I have to make every day because I can, I could re, I could set the alarm for six twenty five. And I could sleep for another two hours and the world's not going to fall apart. In fact, no one would probably even know, but I wouldn't have been able to get in my walk or my exercise or my podcast. I wouldn't have been able to make my omelet or whatever, you know, I'd have grabbed a power bar on the way out of the door and that kind of thing. And so it's, again, it's a choice. And I, there's some days that, that I will snooze. And if I do, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm listening to your body. If I'm exhausted, if I've had a long week of travel or something like that, I, I try not to beat up too hard on myself, but, but I, mo- more times than not, you know, I, I will go ahead and get up even when I'm tired and, 
and get going because I start feeling so much better once I'm, you know, doing those kinds of things. But it's, you know, it 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 takes a while to sort of get into that routine for sure. Mm, it does. I and and I I appreciate the routine. You know, the the morning up early, eating healthy, walking the dog, reflecting, doing something that interests you. And this may seem really simple or so part of your routine, so natural now. And for me, it is too, very similar to what you shared, you know, up early. I do, uh, my friend Hal Elrod wrote the book, Miracle Morning. I, I do the Miracle Morning every morning, six days a week, and just have some type of routine. And I, I, I view it very similar. It, it primes the day for me to be in a position of abundance because I've already gotten a number of wins for me and the family early in the morning. So I love that you do that through your frame as well. And that's, I would call that a success habit. Yeah, I agree with you more. I mean, that's exactly, mm-hmm. it's, it's just setting yourself up for the higher probability of, of you know, having an effective, successful day. I, I you, you said it perfectly. Mm. Uh, is there any uh, particular book that's on your shelf? I see you in the office and I, I love your posters back there. Are, are you also a reader of anything? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called Individuation, which was out of print. Individuation was the term that Jung used for to describe self-actualization. And it's written by one of his students, Jacoby. And so I'm, I'm working my way through that. Uh, I am writing my next book on actualized teamwork. And so I don't have as much time for reading as I, you know, would like because writing is, is you know, takes a lot and it, it's a pretty intensive effort. So right now that's probably my sort of go-to book. I'm a military history buff. And so anything I can find on World War II, both of my grandfathers fought in the European theater. And so I'm sort of a junkie on World War II history as well. But now when I'm writing, it's less than I would like. And then once this book is finished, hopefully by the end of this year and it's, it's sent to the publisher, then I can have a little more time to read. Although my wife, Erin, is pregnant and, and we're expecting our first in January of next year. So I don't know how much reading I'll be doing anytime soon. Uh, well, I will be saying a prayer because uh, the Prayers 4 to 5 a.m., <laughs> the 4 to 5 a.m. time when we had our first child, I remember clearly that my miracle morning, it, it kind of took a pause for uh, for some days yeah. uh, because of the nighttime stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I guess yeah. That, that's all. So yeah. saying prayers and I'm, I'm got a big smile they on the face to hear that. They are welcome and appreciated. Thank you. That's great. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting your um, first son, Matthew, Matthew Sparks. I'm just kidding. You were named <laughs> after me. No. So World War II history books. So the first thing that came to mind was that Louis Zamperini story, Unbroken, that came out in theaters a few years back. I wonder, yeah. have you read that or do you remember that movie? I remember the movie. Yeah, I sure do. I remember the movie. I, I'm a big European, sort of a European theater uh, kind of mm. history buff. But I do remember that it's a great mm. it's a great study in resiliency and you know oh, yeah. and, and never giving up and persistence and that kind of thing. But there are just some incredible stories that are still being told. I mean, things that haven't been told before that came out of such a pivotal moment in human history. And then with everything going on in the Ukraine and, and you know right now Ukraine's pushing them back. Thank goodness because you know the next if they had marched through the next stop was Poland and. You know, people think of World War II as something that happened so, so long ago, but it's really wasn't that long ago. And I think that it's bringing up a lot of those horrific memories of, of the atrocities that Europe suffered. So at any rate, I'm, yes. So that is a great study in personal resiliency and sort of never, never giving up. Mm. Well, let's keep moving forward. I, I'd love to go yeah, let's keep moving forward. And then I say, let's go back for a moment. You you shared your book title. I believe you said Actualized Leadership Management. Did I hear that right? 
Yeah, actualized leadership, meeting your shadow and maximizing your potential. Yes. And I'll have that link for our listeners in the show notes to get a copy of that. And you know, I, I look forward to reading it because I've really enjoyed our discussion so far. I, I'd love to take us to kind of the third chapter of three in our discussion and look to the future. And if I could frame a question, and I'm coming up with it right now, it might be that you are writing in a journal. And it could be if you choose to retire at some point in the future, writing in a journal, and you'll say, I feel that I succeeded because blank happened. What might success look like to you upon um, retiring your career, Will? You know, I think that I would feel like I succeeded if I were happily married and I and my son-to-be and I have a very close relationship. I think if he and I are hanging out at the beach or, or in the, I actually prefer the mountains. So if we're hanging out in the mountains and we're, you know, camping or building a fire or fishing or, you know, on the beach, walking, you know, on the beach together, hand in hand and that kind of thing. And I am in a in a happy marriage that I, I would feel like I'm successful, sort of irrespective of whatever else may or may not have happened. I, I feel very, very thankful to have been able to publish this book. I'm very proud of that. But, you know, it's that that is pales into comparison to to feeling happily paired. And, and, and I certainly hope and pray that I'm going to be a father that that he can look up to and be proud of. I guess that would be the other part of that as well, is that if I feel like he is proud of his old man, then that will make me feel successful beyond any any number in a bank account or any number of books or anything like that. If, 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 if we enjoy each other's company and he wants to hang out with me and he'll he'll indulge me and go up to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg and let me ride those rides and, and if I can get him as excited about the Orioles, Baltimore Orioles as I as I used to be, then I'll feel like it's a I've had a good run. Oh, man, I just love and respect your answer so much. I intentionally framed it as a career answer. And you shared that the real success for you is is around your family. And I just, I love that. People ask me that question about what success looks like. And I say, I normally frame it in the way that when my kids graduate from high school, and by the way, they don't have to graduate from high school for this to be successful. But when they're in that age and they say that my daddy loves me and I can do this. Yeah, if that's their inner dialogue, then I will feel successful. And uh, I love the way that well, you just frame that. Not to embarrass you, Matt, but just so your listening audience knows, before we got started, your beautiful daughter came in from school, and you all had a wonderful exchange together. And I would say that you have achieved the kind of success that many of us could only hope for. So to watch that genuine interaction that the two of you had was really heartwarming and funny. Because uh, you <laughs> you you had your ritual set with that as well, so so you, congratulations on that. What a, what a great interaction! Well, thank you, Will, and and for the listeners, what happened in that interaction, and for any person who's on a Zoom, who works at home, where there is the possibility of a child running through the background or coming and wanting attention, I have a gigantic Bob Ross stuffed animal or a stuffed <laughs> doll that is always there. And uh, she has it right now, but I've also got some backups. Backups, uh, Groot. All my kids love Disney. Groot. I haven't shown them the movie yet, but they, there are six short movies right now, little shorts with Groot, animated shorts. 
And then I've got uh, this oh, guy, the, the cactus. Yeah. Uh, now, because this is a, a PG or actually this is a G rated uh, podcast. We don't cuss, but I will tell you the name of this cactus is Mr. Prick. Uh, <laughs> we call him that because when I need to coach uh, a very strong, high level, like a personality person, and I get yeah. their permission in advance for this, I pull up Mr. Prick if they are being very, uh, very selfish. Yeah. Uh, and uh, kind of like in What About Bob? It pulls up the little, yeah. <laughs> little puppets. I, yeah. yeah. I, I pull some of these up sometimes. Yeah. So, well, Will, I've really enjoyed our discussion and I'd love to uh, ask you where might our listeners find out more or, or where can they connect with you? Yeah. So I think that I've, I've just re sort of redone the website. So it's, it's all one word. It's drwillsparks.com, drwillsparks, drwillsparks.com. My book is available on Amazon and uh, that's probably the easiest way to get it. I think it's on Barnes and Noble and target.com as well, but Amazon, I think ships and I, I blog from time to time. And so that, that's a good way to keep up with I just wrote a few series on the cardinal sins of the three shadows and the like. So if people are interested in sort of the evolving work in this area, it's there. And as you've already mentioned, the the TED Talk is the power of self-awareness. And that was published in 2018. So those are probably the best best places to to reach out or to stay in touch. And uh, if you want to take the free assessment, again, it's alpfree.com and um, you can get a insight into your style and shadow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Will. I appreciate you for being on today. And just one last thought or question as you wrap things up, very serious question, since you've already answered how you would coach the rebellion or coach the empire, I'd love to ask you, you know, which movie was your favorite uh, and why? Yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you, I'm old school. So I think that my favorite was the empire strikes back. And I'll tell you mm. why, because I was, I was eight years old when Star Wars came out, and it took me a few years to really get into it. It was a little bit, I, was, I don't think I, took me maybe two or three times seeing it before I really became hooked. And that's, that's still, you know, on some level is my favorite. But what I like about The Empire Strike Back, Strikes Back is that it, the way it ended, you knew there was more to come. You knew that we weren't going to be left with Han Solo being frozen and, and Carbonite, you, you know, that there was this whole thing now with Luke and Darth Vader and their father-son relationship, and that kind of thing. And so the, the way it left, plus I like some of the imagery better, the, you know, the cloud in the cities and all of that. And, I, you know, as a red-blooded American, Princess Leia's outfit uh, when she was with Jabba the Hutt, but, you know, wasn't lost on me either. So I was in my early teens by the time that came out. So, ah, you know, ah. all of those things probably together, maybe a, I would say Empire's just by a hair, my favorite with Star Wars being a, a close second. Wow. Thanks so much, Will. Congratulations. Good luck. And with prayers for you for coming January and the baby. And Thank I'll you. put all this, all this in the show notes. And it's been a real treat. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.